<laughs> we are going live. <laughs> All right. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Angie Atkinson, and I'm here with the lovely and talented Dana Morningstar. Dana, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to have you. So for those of you who are new around here, Dana and I do this. No- Woo, dang, hold on. There it goes. I, I always forget to mute myself. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Literally nobody's here yet. Um, <laughs> anyway, so for those of you who are new around here, I, Dana and I do this every Tuesday normally. This week we're here on Thursday and it's all my fault. I apologize. But I will be looking forward to seeing you all uh, as you get on. I see people jumping in right now. All right. So today, Dana and I are going to talk about, oh, I forgot to mention, for those of you who don't know Dana, which I think you all do, but just in case you don't, she is Dana Morningstar over on Thrive After Abuse here on YouTube. That's her channel name or thriveafterabuse.com or Thrive After Abuse all over the internet. Um, <laughs> all right. So Dana and I were going to talk about the one question to determine narcissism study that was done last year. And Kat, yes, you are right. It is. The question was, are you a narcissist? Well, the question was technically, let me tell you, hold on. I had it pulled up here. It is technically, to what extent do you agree with this statement? I am a narcissist. Note, the word narcissist means egotistical, self-focused, and vain. Now, that, so that's the, that's the question that, that you're supposed to be able to ask a narcissist to determine whether or not they're a narcissist. In my opinion, uh, that question, the, the study is a little bit off because the type of, nar- at least for the type of narcissist that we discussed, um, we're talking about people who are probably on the cluster B spectrum or who at the very least lack empathy and treat people from that perspective, act from that perspective. And so in my opinion, saying someone's egotistical, self-focused in vain, you could be those things and still have empathy and still treat people around you with some level of dignity and respect whereas if you right I mean what do you think Dana yeah I would agree I mean it's those traits make a person annoying but (laughs) it's you know not necessarily like pathological right I mean I have known people who were you know and I have been a person in my past who who maybe was a little self-focused various times here and there Mm -hmm. um but even during my worst times where I was the most self-focused and, you know, um, vain, I guess, I, I sort of still cared about other people. I mean, not sort of, I actually still cared about other people just because I was worried about the way I looked at that time doesn't mean, and I kind of grew out of it in a lot of ways, but, um, but just because I was concerned about that didn't mean that I didn't still love people and, and be kind and and concerned to people. I mean, I guess vanity is, there's a spectrum. I mean, I've never gone and gotten plastic surgery or lip injections or anything, but I certainly have bought, you know, lip gloss, you know, and makeup. So it's a spectrum too, I guess. But I do not think personally that, 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 that study is entirely accurate. um, In my opinion, I I guess my question would be like, what, what is the hypothesis there is, you know, right. You would, I mean, the people like Deborah is saying in the chat here, she says, yeah, like someone who is vain is really going to say, uh, yes, I am vain. The people that are going to answer truthfully to this and be like, yes, uh, that's me, uh, egotistical, self-absorbed and vain. You're what you're getting is people that have a very low level of self-awareness and emotional awareness. And right. Yeah. Those people probably are problematic if they like readily identify with behaviors like that Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of narcissists out there and you know take it to a level further sociopaths that um 
would not agree with that at all that come across as, um, you know, that are, well, I mean, look at Chris Watts, look at Bill Cosby uh, that are incredibly self-absorbed and do an incredible amount of damage. And they would, they would identify as very caring, compassionate. Um, They're the good guys, but they've been victimized somehow. Right. That's a valid point. Yeah, that's a valid point. I'm looking at this um, study and I, I think it's interesting because it says people who are willing to admit they are more narcissistic than others probably actually are more narcissistic is what they're saying um they're almost proud of the fact yeah Yeah, that's that to me that's a slow pitch like if you're getting people to admit that that that, it's sort of like asking somebody um do you have murderous tendencies right like okay well if you answer that question you probably do and people should probably avoid you right right but right um but one of the things tell me yeah I was say, there are lots of people out there that with murderous tendencies that wouldn't admit to it. And those are the ones that you really have to watch out for. The most dangerous, it's, right. The slow, pitch, <laughs> the slow pitch ones that are like, I've got murderous tendencies. Like you can see those people coming. The people that are like, I'm vain and self-absorbed. Right. You can see them coming. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that like every, I mean, not every, but many like teenagers go through vain and self-absorbed. And I think, you know, they, not not all teenagers because I'm just thinking about my daughter who's 11 and I would say that <laughs> at the very least she's self-absorbed mm-hmm. at the moment but she's uh, very you know she's 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 acting like I was at 15 you know what I mean so she's it's which is probably because of the fact that she's matured faster than I did physically you know what I mean mm-hmm. Oh, did we lose you? I mean, so looking at this, oh, this study and it's saying, la, 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 let me know. Okay. You're, you're here. <laughs> it did the uh, internet. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. It says, uh, understand, understanding narcissism has blah, blah, many implications. But then it talks about, it, it does talk about narcissistic people have low empathy and empathy is one key motivator of philanthropic behavior, such as do- donating money. Um, but, you know, which is, is something. It admits that narcissism is bad for society. But I think the difference is, they're not saying to these people, you know, do you have low empathy? Are you, so, you know, how would you treat other people, et cetera, et cetera. They're just saying, are you self-focused? Are you vain? Do you care about, how, you know, which to them might sound like, do you care about how you look? And, yes. you know, do you think you're awesome? Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and then it talks about, you know, that anyway, I, you know, versus the NPI, which is 40 questions, you know what I mean? You have this, it's a big difference, but I don't know. The other thing I noticed about it was um, that they talk about, and I'm trying to see it right here. Um, they rated themselves on a scale of one to seven. Mm-hmm. And re- results show that people's answer to this question lined up very closely with several other validated me- measures of narcissism, including the NPI. But the difference being that it only has the one, the one thing. Um, I, I, again, I think, you know, it says people who are narcissists are almost proud of this fact. You can ask them directly because they don't see narcissism as a negative quality. They believe that they are superior to other people and are fine with saying that publicly. And I think that's probably a legitimate statement. Um, but I don't think that they're fully understanding what we mean when we say narcissism or maybe what what that implies. And maybe that's why they're saying yes. I don't know. I would agree that it's, it's a red flag, right? If somebody's mm-hmm. volunteering 
that yes, they think they are the greatest that, you know, they have this seemingly overinflated level of Mm self-esteem. That's odds are there's more, there's more problematic behavior there. Right. Um, But it's not, uh, you know, the end all be all. And somebody had said in the chat, well, here's another part uh, or comment from Bonnie, who's spot on. She says, you know, trying to get an honest survey on narcissism is definitely negligible. That's the thing, too, with a lot of personality tests in general is it's well, just with people in general, we're all terrible at self-reporting. Yeah. So because we're so close to our own behavior, how we think we are versus right. how other people perceive us are oftentimes two very different things. Right. And that's part of the problem with personality disorders, especially that with, within the cluster B is there's, there's a lot of unresolved stuff that's going on with the person that they're not, there is a, a huge disconnect between their, be, their behavior and how they perceive their behavior. So, you know, uh, and then somebody else in the chat had mentioned uh something dr romani had said that there's a quote-unquote new type of narcissist the communal narcissist uh the ones who have to make a show of charity and how they're so giving yeah i talked about that about two years ago but that's true um (laughs) it's not that new is what i'm saying right that's that's true um and and some people call that the altruistic narcissist it's the same uh, yeah it's about and those narcissists tend to do this thing where they will definitely most definitely give and give and give but then they expect something back from both the people around them and the person they're giving to. So like if, for example, when I got divorced from my ex-husband, I was very poor Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was kind of starting my life over again. And I was in a position where I had one child and he was just, just under two years old, 16, actually just over one year old, 16 months. And um, I needed to pay for daycare. And between buying a home and paying for my car payments and all the other things I had to pay for, I just didn't have the money to pay the full amount that they needed. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so I was in a situation where I was required to ask my parents for help. And so they agreed to help, but I had to submit to all these demands, including things like changing certain parts of my lifestyle, going to church with them every week, mm. you know, basically following all these rules they had for me, the adult that they were helping um, in order to be able to go to work so I could pay for my other things. So, you know, and so rather than, you know, getting on public aid or whatever, which I didn't, I tried actually to get healthcare, but they wouldn't help me at all because I would made like $1 more an hour I was, than I was supposed to or mm, something. Yeah. Um, my ex didn't pay child support, you know, it was all I could do. So they, you know, it was like Brandon said sometimes taking the chocolate, but you know, I had to, I needed the help. And so I took it and did what they wanted me to do, but that was, and then they told everybody, you know, <laughs> that they did it and, and they got all kinds of, oh, you're such, you know, such good people to help out your deadbeat daughter, you right, know, <laughs> right. all this stuff. And then, of course, I had to submit to all the demands. So uh, it was most certainly, that's an, an example, I think, from my own life of somebody who was being a, an altruistic type narcissist. But you see it, and the same person today does this for other people sometimes, not necessarily that exact same thing, but other people in their life, they pay for various things and they expect various types of not just respect but also you know admiration and give backs from that person of some sort you know you have to do this for me if I'm doing that for you you or those around them there was a there's a youtuber do you know who Vsauce is 
I have. Yeah. Okay. He has a series. I forget if it's on Netflix or whatever. Anyways, it really interesting. And they were doing different like psychological studies on behavior. And one of them was they had these different people Mm -hmm. apply for a job doing a commercial, a television commercial for the local park service. And this was all staged. So none of this was real, but the people didn't know it. And there was, so the whole premise of the commercial was, you know, basically support your local parks, help keep them clean. Mm -hmm. And then they went around and they threw trash all over the park. And the whole concept was to see kind of to test generosity within people and if there was a a trickle over effect. And so what they did was they would then tell the people, oh, hey, do you mind before we we begin filming, do you mind helping us pick up the trash? And then generally the people would say, yeah, okay. Um, They'd pick it up, they'd shoot the commercial, then they'd give them like, uh, I don't know, $50 in ones. Mm -hmm. And then they would have an actor who was playing a homeless person come up to them and say, hey, can you spare any change? And then they kind of found those that uh, had volunteered to help those that had demonstrated an act of generosity before were more inclined to then donate or give money to this homeless person. Here's where this ties in. So there was one guy that they were filming who had said, oh, yeah, I'll totally help pick up trash. And he had his own blog and possibly like I'm guessing at least Instagram. So he's filming himself. And he's like, hey, guys, here shooting a commercial for the local park service. Got to pick up some trash. But that's what we do when we love parks. And then he turns it off and then he does nothing. So he wow. got all of like the social credit for helping to pick up trash and, and picked up zero trash and just played around on his phone, shot the commercial and then didn't give the homeless guy any money. And they even so then afterwards, they would confront them about it. And say, hey, this was basically all a psychological test. And the one guy didn't even seem phased that he blatantly lied. And he just kept lying to cover his lies. He's like, well, we got busy and like the shoot was delayed. And and anyways, it reminds me, it reminds me of a quote that says something along the lines of if you're going, if you're going to feed the homeless, feed the homeless. If you're going to feed the homeless and then post all over social media about feeding the homeless, then you're feeding your ego. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, that kind of stuff is so prevalent. So those altruistic narcissists, that's what they do. And it's sick because they can fly under all of our radars as seemingly charitable people, but really it's all just to get, it's just to stroke their ego of how great they are. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And I'll tell you something, I, and I'm not going to go into a bunch of details, but, you know, I tend to do things quietly when I do things and I, and because I'm not (laughs) trying to be any kind of bragger type person, I'm just going to say this. If I see someone that needs something and I can give them that thing, then I'll try to do that. I'll just say that, but I never, ever talk about it. And, and that's because I'm not doing it for any reason except to help that person and because I'm not gonna lie it makes me feel good (laughs) but but it's so in in that way I guess like I don't know if you remember that old friends episode where Phoebe and somebody were talking about there's no unselfish act you know even Mm -hmm. just giving something to someone on the street because it just makes you feel good that's you know so on that level it's selfish but um yeah, I, I agree. I think that's interesting. And I think that the fact that he faked it and didn't follow through, that's definitely a sign of 
an altruistic or a, or a communal mm-hmm. narcissist. That's very interesting. Well, and you and I both, you were the one that brought me the concept of cult leaders, narcissistic mm-hmm. cult leaders and what they had in common. And after we talked about that, I think I told you I did a whole video about it. Um, and I, I actually, <laughs> I don't know if it's in that one or, or another one around that one, but there was a clip of you. And I said, it was an interview we did or something. And I said, so what do you think about narcissists? And you said, narcissists are like co-leaders. So I like used that little clip. <laughs> anyway, it was funny. Um, but yeah, no, you did. Um, and, and that's really, that's kind of what a, commu- a communal narcissist also kind of looks like um, on some level, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the same time though, like once you kind of see it, mm-hmm. once you see it, people are in the chat are talking about virtue, virtue signaling. Yeah. And you know, before, again, so much of this stuff is when we have a term for it, you're like, oh, that's why that wasn't sitting quite right with me. Like, that's what that is. And it's somebody that's going to these great links. It's, you know, kind of that whole Shakespearean quote, like, you know, me thinks thou doth protest too much. Yeah. Going to these great links to be like, look at what an amazing person I am. And I just, my goodness. And, you know, here's, here's why I'm such an amazing person and blah, blah, blah. And it's all just, it's all just talk. So right. I'm always real skeptical about people that go to great links to show <laughs> what a great person they are. It's like, just do the action. Yeah. Just, just live it. Like have your life. Like my mom is, she volunteers. She does so many wonderful things and her life is one of purpose, you know? And yeah. It's just how she lives her life. And that's just such a beautiful thing. You know, it's, just, I don't know. It, to me, it's like, yeah, you just, you do what you want to do. And yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. And I think up to a point, I mean, yeah, I think, wait a minute. I just saw something I wanted to pull out of the chat and say something about. Um, <laughs> okay. Um and I can't even see it now. Oh, somebody said they're nice. I think I'm a nice guy. And I wanted to touch on that. Um, Levy Cunningham or Levy Cunningham said, I think I'm a nice guy. And the fact of the matter is that it's okay to think you're a nice person. <laughs> you know, I even think it's okay to think you're attractive or cool or whatever. My cats are making some really bizarre noises back here. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's okay to be self-confident. The You know, I think that this is why a lot of people get confused is that a lot of times they want to tell us, you know, like, I don't even think you have to be super humble necessarily, as long as you can stop being, you know, a show off long enough to like love people and care about them on a genuine level. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell anybody who to be. And I certainly think it's totally cool to think you're a nice guy. And as long as you actually are a nice guy, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a difference. I mean, if, we can all think something if the facts aren't there, right? <laughs> you know, if if, our, if facts don't support our beliefs, then that's right. just delusion. Exactly. So, you know, if you think you're a nice guy or a nice gal, but you're out there, you know, exploiting other people and taking advantage and, you know, doing all kinds of hurtful acts, then you're not, you're just deluding yourself. Right. right. So, it, you know, as Kristen Ray Johnson says, definitely narcissistic people have a disorder, so they lack self-awareness. Yeah. And that's really, really what it what it comes down to is the lack of self-awareness, which is why I find that study interesting and funny, <laughs> almost, because I, I think that if they were self-aware, then they would not want to identify as narcissists <laughs> if they understood the concept of it. 
I don't know, blah, blah. Anyway. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a, uh, Tiana asks here, she says, uh, our narcissists are never genuinely happy for other people. They're extremely jealous of others. Why is that? Why are they? Oh, why are they jealous of others? Is mm-hmm. that... Yeah. Well, it's because they compare themselves to everyone all the time because they want to be the best or they want to at least people to think they're the best. And so I think like, let's say that, you know, they're in a cooking class and somebody cooks better than them, you know, their bread turned out better or their cake turned out better or whatever you do in cooking class, um, (laughs) then they would feel almost insulted by the fact that someone was able to produce a better product than they were because they should be the best at everything or they should always be the center of attention. And so now that person is getting the attention and they have a problem with that. They, they don't want anyone to be better than them, I think. And if people are, if, if people are notably better than them, then you often see the narcissist kissing up to those people, <laughs> trying to be closer to them, uh, which is also interesting, depending on the type of narcissist and the circumstances. Um, like if the person's famous or very popular in the area where they're living or something like that, then there's a, you know, or, or someone who's big in their industry, you know, then they're more likely to kind of kiss up to that person a little bit. Whereas if the person is just a regular Joe and they happen to be better at, you know, baking a cake or whatever, then that's a lame example, but you get the idea, have a nicer car, have, you know, prettier or more handsome spouse or whatever, they -hmm. might feel offended and jealous because that person had the nerve to one-up them, even though that person obviously had no concern about, in many cases, about one-upping them at all. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's just the result of a really damaged, undeveloped ego. Because when a person doesn't feel good enough in their own life, they're continually, they any little thing that somebody else has going for them that they don't have, they find that as a threat yeah. and then they get defensive. And it's, it's just this continual wounding that happens to them. This is why Narcula is saying, uh, for example, or as an example of this, her ex, even though he's had another baby and is remarried, he's obsessed with her life and what she's doing. And if she's dating, and that's a lot of that, that level of possessiveness and um, control and need to keep tabs. It's seeing you as an object of of ownership as an object. (laughs) A lot of that is they're allowed to move on, but nobody else is allowed to move on because then if you do, then in some, some way you're saying that they weren't the end all be all for you. And how they, dare you move on? How dare you move on? Yeah. I, I really feel like one of the best examples <clears throat> of this kind of behavior mm-hmm. is uh, Joffrey from Game of Thrones. So I this didn't is watch a, it, so oh my gosh. Okay, so like extreme, extreme like malignant narcissist type behavior where anybody crosses him, anybody does anything, anybody has anything that he wants. But he, in all fairness, he was also I would say he was sadistic and. Um, malicious Mm. but it was it was all about him all the time and he just didn't there was no sense of warmth for anybody I mean he would turn on his own mother wow so to that extent you know that that just shows you like you know people are all different and that level of narcissism can really get to a dangerous and destructive place so Um, true uh, life is a journey says narcissists lie so much that they don't even realize they're lying. And I really do believe that. In fact, I just talked about it recently in a video where, uh, you know, they believe it. They start to believe their own lies because they literally, I think they convince themselves or they, yep. 
you know, have you seen that where they just suddenly they decide something is true because they thought that thing <laughs> it's, woo, it's stressful <laughs> and it's exhausting. And I, terrifying. I yes. Especially. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of it, they live in a world of their own creation. It's, it's just such a level of immaturity where it's like a child. Yeah. They are continually defining reality. So right. If they want to play, like if if ever if you're six years old, or even four years old, maybe, and everything is a game, right? And these are the rules, and other people act outside of the rules, or even if they do act within the rules that you set, mm-hmm. but they somehow win. Then that child is going to change the rules. Right. It's, everything is continually shifting according to what they want, and that's a lot of narcissists, and they minimize their own behavior because you have to remember too, they're not on the receiving end of it. And we've all done hurtful things, either intentionally or unintentionally. And you think about maybe a comment that you might've made to a sibling or a friend or even in passing, and you didn't mean anything hurtful by that, but they were deeply wounded by it. And then they're acting kind of distant because they're wounded. And, but in our mind, we didn't do anything like they're overreacting because we're, we weren't on the receiving end of it. Well, then multiply that scenario times 100. And then you have kind of the thinking of a narcissist because they're flat out, oftentimes flat out abusive and exploitative and painfully hurtful. They don't see it that way because they're not on the receiving end of it. So whenever we have an issue with their behavior, they're like, what's your problem? I'm just telling the truth. Or, you know, I I hit you because you forgot to buy ketchup. I yelled at you because you didn't answer my phone call right away. I, you know, I cheated on you because I thought you were cheating on me. Justification. Yeah. Yeah. It's always justification and it's, Mm -hmm. but you're not dealing with somebody who's sharing the same reality as you. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's, it's just exhausting. I mean, if you're, when you're living in that, it's just, and for me during, when I was going through that, it was like, I almost couldn't breathe. I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but literally, like, I literally felt like there was always some 300-pound person sitting on my chest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could not breathe. And and I and I mean that almost literally. I, it felt literal, especially when they would walk into the room. There would be this, the energy shift and the whole thing at, at certain times, especially, you know, when they were going through one of those delusions, like I like to call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, um, life is a journey added something about what we were talking about earlier. Narcissists don't like to see others succeed. And so they want to bring everybody down to their own level in regard to the, um, you know, why do they get so jealous and why are they so unhappy? And I think that's legit, actually. And, you know, another thing on that same note, Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about, I see this a lot and I wonder how many people in the chat have seen this. Um, I see with narcissistic mothers and their daughters I see a weird jealousy thing that happens starting about puberty where they they seem to they do weird things either they won't buy them proper like undergarments that they need when they start to develop or they they say that you know you can't possibly be that size or your shoes can't possibly you can't possibly have grown out of your shoes or dumb stuff like that and they keep them almost uh, like, I mean, it's one thing to keep your daughter um, modest up to a point, you know, because mm-hmm. like I said, I have an 11 year old who's rivaling me in the bra size right now. So of course I, wow. I don't want to, <laughs> girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't want her walking around, you know, 
showing off all her business. But at the same time, you know, I let her wear things that she chooses that are acceptable within the limits of modesty that's appropriate for her age, right? I don't try to tell her what to do, but I most certainly do buy her proper undergarments. And because of a client of mine who told me that her mother refused when she started to need undergarments and instead had to wear overalls because she didn't want anybody to see what she had going on, um, (laughs) refused to buy her a bra. The minute I even saw any little peep of anything, I immediately was out buying buying a, a little training bra for her. But my point is, narcissistic mothers tend to become jealous of their daughters as they begin to develop. And it's definitely a vanity issue definitely an issue of feeling expired or feeling like yes their time is ending or you know it's and, a threat. yeah 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 to their femininity or whatever it, it kills me I can't even fathom it <laughs> that you could be tell me what we gonna I say? know it's it's so crazy I've seen um narcissistic mothers who will dress who you know they might be 40 but they're dressing like they're 20 and yeah. And then they take great pride in like, oh my gosh, everybody, they mistake me for a ninth grader yeah. when they go to pick up their child or, or what have you. And it's like, no, actually nobody does. <laughs> right. <laughs> you look like you're 40 trying to be 20. Um, right. And, but it's this, the, or they act overly, mm, I don't know if I'd say over necessarily, some of them act overly sexy. Mm-hmm. The ones that are more on like the histrionic side, yeah. but some of them just act, it's more like just body language. It's just kind of, just kind of flirtatious and open. And, right. you know, when you're kind of I, acting like that around a bunch of boys in eighth and ninth, it's just disgusting. Yes. You know, when your kid. daughter brings home her friends or your son so, brings home his friends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. And, you know, I, I have teenagers around my house a lot because I have, well, my daughter is not a teenager yet, but she acts like one, (laughs) but my, she's 11, but my son is 16. And so there are a lot of kids around my house, boys and girls. And, um, you know, I'm not that girl. I'm pretty much like, this is who I am. And this is what they get. Sometimes I'm a little bit, I have, you know, my hair a little bit crazier. What's pretty crazy today, but you know, like, I don't always look good, but, (laughs) but I'm me, the person that you're talking to right now is the same person they talk to. You know what I'm saying? And I can't, I'm just not, I, I get frustrated by that. I see that with narcissists and men, this is not just women, men do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to be hanging out with the people who are younger than them. And especially I notice with um, addicts, alcoholics, things like that, they tend to want to hang around groups of 20 somethings when they're in their forties or their fifties. And, you know, or, or they, they try to, like you said, they try to act younger than they are. And, uh, and they'll say things like, everybody thinks I look younger than I am like you said and nobody does I I always used to tease one particular narcissist I know and I would say um everybody's gonna be like who brought their dad yeah (laughs) yeah didn't like that (laughs) sorry yeah Yeah, it's I don't that kind of stuff and you know vanity and feeling threatened and um you know, all kinds of stuff. It's a problem. Here's a question for you. Here's from M Lee who says, Angie, is there any hope for me? I'm 38 and my narcissistic mom is 57 to ever have some kind of healthy relationship at all, even a little, any hope? Oh, I mean, healthy is relative. (laughs) Um, but I would say, excuse me, I think I caught Dana's cold through the Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> anyway, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, no, I don't. I don't think that healthy is relative. So I think it's possible that if you're willing to, one of two things: either do everything her way and be happy, or <laughs> be willing to set boundaries and strong enough to stand behind them, so that when she doesn't treat you with respect or she does play mind games with you that you would step back and let her do her thing over there (laughs) and you know say something like well you know let me know when you're ready to act like an adult (laughs) you know um and to be perfectly honest with you knowing how my relationship was with my narcissistic mother I do not see that as an option for you I mean maybe it is I was never I was still um I felt still like almost like a child around her because she would always treat me that way, just like she did when I was a child and minimize me as a human and an adult and whatever else, um, as a professional, as whatever it was, I was still that, you know, kid who couldn't do anything right. Um, so I think if you're strong enough to push past that, I mean, healthy, I don't know, (laughs) functional, maybe, but really, you're going to have to play mind games with her or at least be prepared to accept her mind games. Um, if you're going to have a, any sort of remotely tolerable relationship, I think that's the best you can hope for is remotely tolerable. Personally. Yeah, I would agree. I think you make a really great distinction between the difference between remotely tolerable and healthy. Um, you know, can you create a tolerable relationship yeah like angie was saying do everything that she wants then you'd you'd have some sort of relationship it'll be miserable for you but that would be something uh if that doesn't work for you then it's going to be i guess i would also encourage you to figure out what if you had to prioritize some of the dynamics that you'd like to see happen with your mother to get clear on those and to work with that. But if, if you're, if you're talking about having a healthy, if you're talking about having a healthy, mature relationship with an unhealthy, immature person, no, that's not possible. Especially if she's not interested in changing and she thinks that you're the problem. So which chances are she's not, and she does. Right. So, um, you know, I think just getting clear, accepting, I think it makes it easier in a lot of ways if you're trying to have some sort of contact with this person to just realize this is this person's limitations and it's, and you have to kind of mourn that loss. Like, you know, of you just didn't get this warm, nurturing, empathetic mom that you could spend time with and sit down and, you know, have a glass of wine with and talk about life and that she could be loving and supportive. And that's, that's a really painful realization to have but then realizing, okay, this is the mother that I do have. And so where does that leave you? And only you will be able to determine going forward, what kind of relationship you can have with her, but it it will save you a lot of pain and hurt in the long run. If you can accept what is instead of holding on to hope that someday, somehow things are magically going to be other than what they are, especially if she has no sincere desire to examine her way that she's relating to you and she's not accountable for her behavior and she has no desire to change. <clears throat> yeah, I fully yeah. agree. A hundred percent. Yep. Here's another um, question for you. Go oh, go, go ahead. Did you no, have, I have 
just the comment from Truth Seeker I wanted to comment on. Okay. Um, Truth Seeker says loners are more at peace than the abused, even if they would have been extroverts in a safer world. Narcissists would panic with no supply left. And I think there's that's valid because somehow after going through what I went through, I find right now that even right now, years later, I, I totally dig being alone. I'm okay with it almost anytime. You know, I'm not saying I want to be alone 24 seven forever. I'm saying, you know, I have my kids and I have friends and whatever else and everybody else in my life. But, but I'm saying, you know, I'm okay with being alone sometimes. And I could potentially become a loner if I, if I, <laughs> if I wasn't careful. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? Um, oh, I and I, yeah. yeah, I would definitely be, I'm definitely would be at peace. And, and on some level, I think on the, um, you know, the scale, what's that? Briggs Myers Briggs scale mm-hmm. um, on the I'm, I, I test officially as ENFPA, which is um, whatever. But anyway, the E is um, extrovert, and and extrovert uh, on the scale. I was like like fifty two percent extrovert and forty you know you know forty eight percent or whatever introvert. So I'm kind of right in the middle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm there. I, I totally agree with that statement thoughts on it yeah yeah i just i agree (laughs) so you got a question Uh, yeah this is from naveen who says is it possible that a normal person can become violent living with a narcissist uh i would say absolutely because when you're around when you're around nonsensical behavior and that is what dysfunctional kind of I think a good way to look at dysfunctional behavior is dysfunctional behavior is behavior that doesn't work kind of by definition, right? We have functional behavior, which by definition means it does work. Dysfunctional means it doesn't work. And whenever you've got dysfunctional behavior, whatever solution or interaction that person brings is it's not going to ever solve the problem. It's only going to add to it. And so the result of that is can, and, an ever growing amount of crazy making and nonsense mm-hmm. and any reasonable rational person when you're you're continually around things that don't make sense when this person is delusional they're living in their own reality they're rewriting reality they're gaslighting they have the emotional maturity of a child they have no concept of boundaries they have no concept of what appropriate behavior is that kind of stuff is absolutely maddening and can push any sane person to the edge where you just want to scream and shake that person to try to shake some sense into them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. This I, is why those of us that have gone through the healing process tend to really distance ourselves from it because once you get back to, once you bring sanity and peace back into your life, you realize how agitating and upsetting and toxic mm-hmm. being around that kind of nonsensical behavior truly is. And it can make a person just physically ill over time. And so, you know, when we understand what it is, what we're dealing with, it helps to, to just know your limits for that reason. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Angie? I totally agree. And and I'll tell you something. I, I never physically struck out at anyone, um, but only, well, besides my little brother, you know, but that was different because we were kids. <laughs> he struck out at me too. Um, but, <laughs> but as an adult, um, never struck out at anyone. Um, but I certainly had this, 
this is so weird. Like, I think that I would have struck out at that person if I wasn't afraid I would have been, you know, that, that if I didn't know that I would be hurt worse in response. Because what I mean is, like my head, I would feel dizzy almost with when I would get really, really angry, I would get dizzy and I would literally see stars. And I would, I would have the urge to, to go and physically strike or do something. I didn't know what, I'm not a fighter by nature, but I felt that urge. And it was so strong that it would physically affect me. Like you said, my head would start spinning and I would just be so just livid. And, and I can't even, exp- because I, how do you, <laughs> I, I never could understand how they could play so, like, they play the victim when they're obviously the perpetrator, you know, they, they like say they would sh- do something wrong and, and then call me out for calling them out on it or, you know, for having a problem. You always have a problem with me, you know, stuff like that. Like, it's just, it would just infuriate me. And, and because I didn't fully understand what I was dealing with at the time, it wasn't as easy for me to go, okay, well, let me label that behavior and, and calm down and recognize what I'm dealing with. I didn't know. It was just, I just knew they were infuriating me and, and I couldn't understand how they could act this way. It was just, you know, and of course there would be the times when I would always back down, back down, back down, and this would build up, build up, build up. And, and eventually that I would just, you know, and just tell them all the things about themselves. And then course they would play the victim again so yeah I think it's absolutely possible (laughs) I never physically did anything like that but I definitely said a lot of horrible things that were all true for being honest um but but I said them in mean ways that weren't weren't appropriate or helpful in any you know and under any circumstances um and things I wouldn't say to anyone like that I really care about which I thought I really cared about those people but that was all you know they call that reactive abuse I -hmm. think so, and I'm not saying it was okay, but I'm saying I totally relate to the idea of having become beside myself, losing my ability to, you know, I really think the only reason I didn't physically strike out is because I knew that they were stronger and bigger than me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's just not my nature to do that, but I definitely felt the urge for sure. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Here is a question from Anna who says, does anyone else struggle with emotional outbursts towards their children while being under attack from a narcissist? I feel overwhelmed trying to handle tantrums while being emotionally depleted. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one. Um, Tell me, what were you going to say? This is really common. And this is something that when I, well, even still like working in, um, with people in a domestic violence shelter, that's really common. So for all the reasons that you said, so you have, you have somebody who is just kind of at their wits end and their nerves are just frazzled and they're emotionally raw and they just don't have the emotional bandwidth, um, you know, to be there, to, to have the patience, to have, uh, they just, they're just exhausted depleted emotionally. And so I would encourage you, uh, it's good that you're aware of this. Like, oh my gosh, I'm really acting out. I just, my, my patience with my children is just not what it needs to be and realizing, okay, now I need to get some help. And so seeing, okay, can you kind of circle your wagons and who is in your support system? You know, do your children have friends that they could maybe spend some more time with right now? And, um, do you have family members that they could, that people, 
can you get other people to help step in and either take children for a few overnights a week or on weekends or um, to come in and just watch them for a few hours while you just take a nap or you go out to therapy or, um, or what have you, because it's really difficult. It's really difficult to get yourself out of that fight or flight mode when you have children of any age, frankly, that are having, having, um, behavior kind of adjustment challenges and they're becoming behavioral and that happens at any age. And so it's just, it's difficult when you've got stuff coming at you at all ends. Yeah, it it is. And I think, um, I think the most important thing here, and, and this is going to probably be beating a dead horse, but like, get out, get the kids and go, if you can, like, even if you have to go and do something, you know, temporary, go stay at a, you know, one of those extended stay places or something just for a while until you can get on your feet and get something better or go stay with a friend or, or a trusted family member, something like that. Because, you know, in addition to damaging you and traumatizing you, this is not healthy for your kids and they're freaking out because you're freaking out and you're being attacked. And, and maybe they don't, depending on how old they are, maybe they don't fully understand why things are happening but they know I don't know about your kids I know my kids have always felt very protective of me and so they want to somehow you know if they if they saw that I was in distress they would want to try to help me and if they don't know how to help they might just throw a tantrum you know a fit or 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 whatever and so I'm not saying that that's acceptable I'm saying what I'm saying is that this is an, an indication that things are very serious and that you need to go you need to get get your stuff together and go as soon as you can. And I do understand how hard it is. I understand that there's, there are money issues and everything else, but if you are being actively emotionally abused and your children are watching that happen, you're teaching them how relationships look and you have to teach them that, that you don't have to put up with that and that you don't stay in a relationship like that because you don't want them to either become him or her, or, or you don't want them to become you either. You know what I'm saying? You don't want them to, to become a codependent who is being abused in a relationship and and you don't want them to become an abuser either. And I'm not trying to be too harsh on you here. I'm just telling you, this is serious. You know, you'll, they only get one childhood. So like, if there's anything you can do, do that. And I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be so pushy, but I'm just, I'm a mom and I watch kids <laughs> grow up and my kids are, you know, before my eyes, they, yeah, like yesterday they were two and now they're almost adults, you know, it's just, it goes so fast. And, and if there's anything you can do, you know, yeah. even well, if- and, and actually I'm reading here too. She just says, uh, yeah, the kids follow her around. Um, they're four years old. She's a four-year-old and a two-year-old. She does live in a domestic violent shelter. Okay. She doesn't have another room to go to. Um, <clears throat> I so- would, mm-hmm. Sorry. So she lives in a, a domestic violence shelter. So is she, is she talking about, is he, is, is the person with her? It's, I would guess not. Okay. So you're I, doing the right thing. Go ahead. Yeah. I yes. think she's, you know, it sounds like she's left the relationship. She's now she's okay. at the shelter, but she's incredibly, she just oh, wow. is at wit's end and, you know, trying to, to handle a four-year-old and a two-year-old. She just doesn't Sorry. have the, yeah. the emotional Bandwidth. bandwidth for that. So, yeah. um, I, I would I would encourage you to talk to the staff at the shelter and and let them know that that you are at wit's end and that you really need some help and to see if sometimes they'll have volunteers that'll do childcare. Mm-hmm. Um 
if you have, if you guys have therapy or group therapy at the shelter, oftentimes they will line up um, volunteers to watch children during those times. So see if that's at least an option. And then maybe that'll at least give you like an hour break um, and see if you can go to, if, if the therapist there has time, I don't know what the dynamic is, but if you could go to therapy twice a week, and then if you can go to at least group therapy there once a week, that'll give you a few hours. But I would just reach out to them and say, I've got to, please help me come up with some sort of plan. I, I need help. Yeah, and, that's a good idea. And and see what they can do. I agree with that. And also, if you have, I mean, I don't know what kind of, how many people are in the shelter or if, if you've made any friends or anything, but if there is someone even outside of the shelter who you trust, maybe you can trade babysitting or with them or something sometimes like go like if you have a friend who you know has an apartment or something nearby maybe hey i'll tell you what if you know if you want a break i'll come over and watch your kids and and you can go out and go get your nails done or whatever <laughs> go whatever she wants to do and then maybe she can watch your kids as well i mean but i i agree with dana talk to the staff because they do have programs in place and i apologize for all the things i mean all the things i said were true but you were not you shouldn't have been the recipient of those things because you've already done that and i'm really proud of you for that so let me just let me not yell at you. <laughs> I didn't mean to yell at you. And I'm sorry, I got so upset about it. I didn't mean to, but I'm very passionate about that because I've, I've seen so much damage from yeah. those people. So you're doing the right thing. And I applaud you stay strong. I'm sorry if I was too yelly. <laughs> well, and you know, another thought too, is sometimes shelters, um, the agency will have a children's therapist mm-hmm. and seeing if you can get the kids in, because oftentimes a lot of those tantrums and um, behaviors. That's really common when children are experiencing change and especially if that's they've true. witnessed abuse yeah. or of any kind, verbal, emotional, physical, uh, they're scared. They don't understand they're young. So that kind of behavior tends to really escalate and it's a lot for anybody to deal with. So yeah. if, if they offer child therapy, I would definitely see about utilizing it. And that also would potentially give you, you know, a few hours a week of just a breather where you just kind of get a break from the kids. But then I would also talk to the child therapist and, and, and say exactly what you're saying here. I just am at wit's end. Yeah. What can I do? That That's a really good idea. And I, and if any place is going to have those resources, it's going to be one of those shelters, yep. I think. Yeah. Um, I want to also point out what Anna Benton says. Toddlers are just hard being toddlers, but add in the effects of visiting their father and they come back in a chaotic mindset. How can I go? Oh, this is you. <laughs> you're right. Is this Anna that we're talking to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's absolutely true. Just being toddlers is hard. And now, is there any way, do you have to let them visit their father, I wonder? is Do you have anything in writing that says that? Um, how can I get them back to feeling safe quickly when they get home? Um, have a routine, Anna. Do the yeah. thing, you know, like, um, of course, ask them if, I mean, you're, I don't know how much your two-year-old is talking yet. My, it, my kids, different time, different, different ages did different things, but um, but sit them down and say, so how was your visit? Tell us the things that if they are being abused or you, you fear what is happening there, you know, your four-year-old is probably old enough to say this is happening and that is happening. Get that stuff documented. Um, and I mean, the fact that you're in this shelter, it surprises me that they're even, is somebody making, are you just afraid to not let them see their father or can you, can you, I don't know if you're still with us, but um that's a valid point that you made because toddlers are hard, especially the the two year old. Even the four year old could still be kind of 
you know, difficult by nature, but depending on the kid and, and the circumstances, but like Dana said, the transition is hard for every kid of every age, you know, um, even adults, it's even hard for adults. So yeah, I agree, Martha. It's good that she's in, in a shelter and away from that person, but now her kids and Maura knows, yeah, Maura says it's so hard with court these days with your kids. Um, I think if you don't have it in writing, uh, and that you have to let him visit. I would talk to the people at the shelter and ask, do you have to let him see them? But back to your question, I would have a, I would have a routine for them and I would like sit them down and ask them how it was and maybe have like a, a little, you know, like for example, maybe you all sit down together and have a bowl of cereal every time or something, you know, or you sit down and have a meal together right away, or you go for a walk together, some routine that they enjoy every time. And you sit and you talk with them and you let them say whatever they want to say. So how was your visit? You know, what did you think about? What did you do? You know, whatever you, you say to your kids and just let them talk. I find coloring is a good way. Um, if you can get them coloring, a lot of times they'll say things like they'll be more open because they're a little bit distracted if that makes any sense and they'll say more and you really want them to talk it out and tell, tell you what you're, you know, as much as they can. And, and if you find out that there's any sort of physical abuse, I mean, emotional abuse is really hard to prove, unfortunately, especially with kids um, of those ages. But, but if you can, if you do find out there's any sort of abuse, I mean, report it and document it every single time if you can. So um, anyway, sorry, I keep talking. Yeah. Um <laughs> All right, where are we? Let's see. Uh, here's another question. I think Megan's posted this a few times too. Okay. She says, uh, my ex-narcissist is being ordered by the court to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. They think he has antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder because of his behaviors. Has anyone else heard of this? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here's something that Happy Camper says that I think is legit. Um the court ordered evaluation is a real thing and you are lucky that they may order it. Even if the narcissist has a diagnosed thing, it's, it's inadmissible because of HIPAA. And I think that is more as again, that's so hard with the court these days. And, and that's really um, legit. I, I don't know how HIPAA would work with that, but I think if the court orders it, they have to, they have to let them, you know, let it be admissible. I think, am I wrong? Does anybody know? Yeah. Yeah. Court order. It's basically, um, it, well, I mean, it's ordered by the court. So yeah, I mean, just like, just like there's, uh, you know, therapist client confidentiality unless the notes get subpoenaed. Yeah. So there's oh. breaches of confidentiality that happen for legit reasons, but if the court's ordering it, just like the court can order, you know, a DNA test. Yeah. Um, Emily says I'd record the behavior for the court audio or video or something of the toddlers. And I agree with that, Emily. That's a really good point. Um, anything you can do to document the behavior and, and it, you know, if they say something, I mean, it, write it down if you don't record it um, and write down the time and the date and all the things, you know, and if you have any witnesses. Um, but yeah, don't be scared to record. Um, and yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of people when they're in a domestic violence situation, they're like, well, but it was basically against me. Right. Like this other person made threats, threats against my life. They, they hit me, they kicked me, they pushed me, they spit on me, they called me names, they belittled me, they did all of these things, but overall they're a great dad or they're a great parent, mom or dad to their, the children. And I, I always disagree with that. It's like, it, that's impossible. I agree. 
So, because kids are picking up on that and um, the long-term results of that, that is abuse. Children living in abuse, even if they're just witnessing, even if they're not on the receiving end of it, but they're witnessing it, there's that dynamic, that's abusive. And And I'm pretty sure the court sees it that way too. They absolutely do. And what happens is, as a parent, if they stay in that home and the children are continuing to witness abuse um, and the one other parent doesn't leave, then that one parent can get charged with neglect and um, endangerment. And so that's when CPS gets involved and kids get removed. So it's, um, you know, it it is so difficult because there is such a, it is, you know, yeah, there's so many factors there and there's so many um, women and men that are just at the end of their rope because they're like, you know what, I've been screaming into the wind for years in court saying this person's abusive, but then the court is ordering uh, you know, shared custody. The court is saying that I have to do this. Nobody else is seeing that this is abusive, but then, um, then all of a sudden somebody does see it as abusive. Like I get one, I don't know, CPS person or the school makes a phone call. Now all of a sudden I'm charged with endangerment or neglect because I'm following the court order to put my kids with this person. Right. And now I'm, it, potentially going to lose my kids. I mean, it's just so messed up on so many different levels. It's beyond infuriating. But um, if anybody's even close to that situation, there's a fantastic book called Divorce Poison. Uh, I forget who wrote it, but it's uh, a fantastic book. And it talks about how to prevent, because one of the other things that happens with this is you're dealing with that abusive mindset, which they're not the problem, you are. And so in their mind, you broke up the family, you did this, you're the bad guy, that toxic mindset, because they've minimized all of their behavior to themselves, that's eventually going to spill out onto the kids. And the either intended or unintended result is parental alienation, where they yeah. end up manipulating the children against you. And so if you are seeing your kids coming back um, after time with that parent, which is very, the problem with abusive people is they have, they don't have boundaries. That's right. And so it's not reasonable to expect them to act like a mature, appropriate parent because they don't have that capacity, right. um, at least for the long term. Like they can act the part, but they can't hold it together for long. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just recording all of that, because odds are there's little things that are being said here and there. And it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a few comments of, well, you know what? Your mother did this. You know, it's your mother's fault that we're not a family. Or it's Christmas time and I can't, I don't have money to get you presents because I have to pay your mom. Right. (laughs) Little little things like that do a lot. It's not funny. It just, the, the, the audacity of these people, it just floors me. It floors me. Yeah. 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 Uh, Richard Warshak, somebody happy camper. Thank you for posting that Richard Warshak, divorce poison. Okay. Uh, Kelly Bodney says, should I try to damage, uh, excuse me, should I try to bridge, a damaged gap with my stepchildren's malignant narcissist mother or stay gray rock. She attacked by text another person that tried to be nice. I think you just answered your own question. <laughs> I wouldn't bother. Um, it's not your responsibility. Now I do understand why you might think that because I'm guessing you are close with your stepchildren and you love them. Um, thank goodness for you for their sake. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's your responsibility to do that. And I think you need to stay gray rock. Um, I think if you have a situation where your name is spelled with an I, so I'm going to assume that you are the stepmother. Um, 
so, you know, in that case, I think your husband would be responsible if anyone was responsible. Um, but even he isn't really responsible because as long as you're still able to see the kids, you know, I don't think it's relevant. Can you, can you, do you have any other details you can share with us on that, Kelly? Um, okay. Dana, do you have another question for us or do you want to say something about that? Um, I, I just, uh, I, I wanted to just mention real quick too with Anna, she was saying she has, she doesn't have any court orders yet. So he still has rights. Um, I would just encourage you to talk to the most domestic violence shelters also have a, le a legal advocate. So I would talk to that person if you haven't already and just kind of see what some of the next steps are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a total B, but here it goes. Um, I mean, technically, <laughs> if there's nothing in writing yet, then you could keep the kids to yourself if you wanted to. I mean, technically, just saying. I would because talk to the legal advocate and document. Do that. Yeah. yeah. If you can justify your actions, then there's kind of more of a leg to stand on, but talk, talk to the legal advocate. Yeah. I agree with that. But especially with being two and four years old, I mean, if there's any risk of abuse, I mean, definitely talk to the legal advocate, but I'm just saying, just do what Dana said. That's better. Um, <laughs> as a mom, I'll tell you this. Okay. I'll tell you that if I had one single bit of doubt, I would not, I would not let my when I left my ex-husband I knew for sure that there were things he might do that could cause my kid major major problems um and so I didn't I I held on to him and I said you know if you want to see him you come on over we'll see him you come to me or I'll come to you we'll hang out we'll watch we'll hang out with the kid and then when I went to court I told the judge here's why I do not want him to be alone with the child and the judge said okay and ordered court ordered you know he he would have supervised visits he chose me as the supervisor because I think he thought I was coming back but of course I didn't and he never saw the kid again by his own choice but you don't have to if you really fear that they're being abused I'm just telling you as a mother <laughs> do what Dana said she's right go and talk to the legal advocate there at the shelter you have that re resource use it keep you know cover your butt but at the same time I feel you and I'm telling you if you can avoid sending them into a situation that you think if they if you're worried they're being abused this is important and i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying that's what i did and i i yeah. believed he would be abused and i didn't i did not allow him to keep the kid <laughs> i just didn't and i know i'm not i like i can be very um and i especially back then could be very passive about almost everything but when it comes to certain things <laughs> with my kids or whatever, like I'll be a dragon. Watch out. <laughs> you know, I will burn the whole place down. I mean, not literally, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm, it's totally, everybody's different. I'm just saying that's, that's my only, <laughs> but Dana's right. Listen to her because she's, she's being logical and I'm not. The answer is go talk to the legal, legal advocate and ask what kind, what can you do? What can you legally get away with or do here to prevent your children from going into that household? If you're worried about abuse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the logic. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I also wanted to just touch on the gal that was saying there's a court order. Um, and then there's concerns that with ASPD or NPD, I just mm -hmm. wanted to add to that, that it's good that the court at least sees that because, um, you know, that kind of behavior, antisocial personality disordered behavior 
it's, I think that's a much easier diagnosis to get, frankly, than NPD because ASPD, there tends to be concrete evidence of this person's behavior. They have a lack of regard for others. They have a lack of respect for laws. They have um, kind of, uh, you know, there's no, there's no real empathy. There's no respect. There's no remorse. There's no, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. They're defiant. They're just defiant. You, the court says one thing, they go and do another. They, they, they are highly manipulative. They're exploitative. They just do whatever they want to do. And that, like I said, that behavior is a lot easier to show proof of, of, yeah, this person opened up a credit card in my name and I didn't know about it. And this person uh, went against court orders and this person just goes rogue and they just do whatever they want to do and they don't care. That's a lot easier to see versus more of like personality traits that a person can somewhat hold together like um you know grandiosity or uh arrogance or vanity or uh you know that yeah a hundred percent yeah valid point yeah um little miss charm little miss charm maker says can we discuss narcissist and body image issues like I've had a very warped view of myself because of things that have been said to me by my narc father I'm only now coming out of it. This is common, right? Yep, it is. I think, I know I've had body image issues. I know that, like, I, I have some, one client in particular who has, and they all, every client I've talked to has some issue like that, especially the females. Um, but but one of them in particular had such an issue that she literally couldn't look in the mirror. Like, it, it made mm-hmm. her cry. And it just breaks my heart. Um, so, yeah, it's very common. Um there's a lot of things you can do, obviously, uh, different types of therapy. Um, I'm, I'm working on a new, I've been doing some research on a new thing that might work out. I'll, I'll let you know if it does. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a common issue. And I think it's more common than anyone would care to even admit, really. Um, I would I would guess that a very large percentage of us have struggled with that. And I'm not saying that men don't struggle with it, but I'm saying I think it's more common in in the women that I've talked to personally, I have, I've had several male clients, many, um, and I've very rarely heard them talk about body issues. Women though, almost always, even women who I would consider to have perfect bodies, you know, but yeah. Thoughts, Dana? Yeah. You know, they attack each person differently for different reasons. And um, it's, I think we, when we can get to that place in our understanding and healing where we realize their behavior is a reflection of them, it's not a reflection of us, mm-hmm. we can kind of reinstate that boundary that wasn't there. So for example, a big part of boundaries, it's not only what we're putting out into the world, but what we're letting in. And when we're lacking that that boundary, it's sort of like a house that has open windows and you've got a bunch of kids throwing rocks at it. And those rocks just sail right through those windows and healthy boundaries, the windows go up and down. So we're letting in, we're, we're consciously choosing what we're allowing in and what we're keeping out. And when a person's a child, we tend to have, we, everything just sails right in because we, especially from adults, because we take adults as having absolute truth. They they must be right. And So now as an adult, looking back on that, 
even though we can't change what happened, we can change how we perceive that. And we can realize, oh my gosh, the child in me took all of this as absolute truth, but what on earth, what kind of damaged adult would tell a child such hurtful things? And that's on them, you know, like, yeah, you're not perfect, but nobody is. And so normal, decent people don't go around destroying each other, don't go around destroying other people. So when we can see that behavior for as uh, just wildly left field as it is and wildly inappropriate, it can be, it can help to see that as now this part that has that wounded, that, that low self-esteem and like, but this is what I was told, right? That I was some sort of like stupid, fat and ugly, that that's the wounded child part in us. And now the healthy adult part can realize, oh my gosh, uh, this, this, I I was on the receiving end of a a really hateful, hurtful person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I'm with you. I need to address something really quick. Um, Mo, Mo cowboy, my friend, um, I will tell you this. I am not saying that I've never heard it. He says uh, men aren't allowed to discuss their body image problem. And I want to say this. I am always open to that. I, I have um, one of my sons is, you know, struggles with, with that a little bit um, just because he's, you know, super, super tall and broad shouldered and um, maybe a little thicker than he'd like to be. I mean, I would say he's not fat at all. He would say, I could lose a few pounds, you know, but that's if he's being nice to himself that day. Um, My point is, I know that it happens and I don't want to minimize it. I certainly don't want to say that men don't have body image problems. I would say that men who have been abused probably do more often than they, they have to. I guess a lot of the people that I speak to um, tend to be uh, a lot. I I talk to a lot of people who probably have access to all of the things, I guess Um, they, they tend to be, I have a lot of California clients <laughs> um, and that's all I'm going to say, but, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> my point is they have there a lot of the ones I talk to happen to be people who can, they have a little more money. They can do a little more. And, and men, I think in some men don't struggle as much because they don't struggle with their weight or their whatever, but I do hear them talking about their faces or their people who are more attractive or richer or whatever. And I, but, Regardless of that, I I don't want anyone to think, especially you, Mo Cowboy, that I am implying that men don't have body image issues or that they shouldn't be allowed to talk about them. Um, absolutely, they should. And and if you ever want to talk about it, you know where I'm at. I'm, I, I get it. And I'm not trying to imply that you, you or anyone else doesn't or shouldn't talk about it. it. We should all talk about anything we need to talk about. So please, please don't misunderstand me on that one. Um, I just think that's really important. Um because that's no, he says, yeah, pick up a copy of men's health and see, no, I just lost the dang thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and they, and, and see what our narc society tells us, shows us what we're supposed to look like. And you know what, my friend? Um, Yeah, I get it. Cause every single magazine and billboard and everything does the same thing to women. Um, But I am not in any, in any way minimizing you or your feelings. So please, please know that I would not do that. And I didn't mean to imply that. And I'm sorry if I did. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. Um, well, have- actually, I, th- I think we did go. Don't you? Oh, it time. You're yeah. right. You're sure right. You're sure. <laughs> yes. Okay, everybody. We are about to step on out of here. I just realized where I have a, a meeting coming up shortly. Um, thank you, Dana, for reminding me. <laughs> we got all off track. Um, but this has been, I think, a good discussion. Um, 
next week we will be back over on Dana's channel, Thrive After Abuse, right here on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to both of us and hit the bell notification so you'll be notified. Um, you can also text Angie Live, all one word, A-N-G-I-E-L-I-V-E, to 33222. And I'll text you five minutes before I go live each time. And that, of course, is mostly only with Dana these days. So <laughs> we'll be for this stream. <laughs> Um, so that's cool uh, every now and then every now and then I'll go live a little more but not as much as I used to um, and to everyone else big hugs and love Dana you have any final thoughts for everybody today oh that's the same I just enjoy you so much and I enjoy the I community you guys have great questions and I love the support you give each other it's just it restores my faith in humanity every single time yes absolutely oh, yes. absolutely all right big hugs and love everybody i'll see you soon thank you mo cowboy for your comment and i will see you guys all next week and i have a video yes. coming for you tomorrow all right talk and i'll soon. talk to you i'll talk to you in the near future yeah <laughs> okay. Dana, when is your next uh live stream you do wednesdays right uh, uh yes wednesdays wednesdays eight thirty p.m eastern standard time okay over at thrive after abuse and i know that's a three-hour stream isn't it yes it is yeah so guys if you if you need some extra support you know where to go all right. All right. We'll see you next week. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>